seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In January 2023, Constance Martin and her boyfriend, Mark Gordon, disappeared and went on the run with their newborn baby, Victoria. A nationwide search resulted in the sad discovery of Victoria's body and the pair have now been charged with killing her, which they both deny. I'm Jack Hardy, a news reporter for the Daily Mail. I'll be in court every day reporting the events as they happen. And I'm broadcaster and journalist Caroline Cheaton. Together, we'll take you behind the headlines, bringing you the evidence, witness statements and testimony from the Old Bailey in London. This is The Trial. Constance Martin and Mark Gordon. So in the last episode, we brought you all the details from Constance Martin's interviews with the police following the discovery of her baby daughter's body in an allotment shed in March 2023. And we heard that she told police she was on the run to avoid having her newborn baby, Victoria, being taken away by social services. Yeah, so today we're going to bring you new details about Constance Martin's finances and how she received nearly £50,000 from a trust in the months before she went on the run. We'll have everything the Old Bailey heard about Mark Gordon's police interviews, including the moment he told detectives the couple discussed handing Victoria in the night before she died. The death of their daughter, he said, was something every parent dreads. It was the worst thing that ever happened. And he also talked about losing four children to the system. And he said Constance Martin loved children and would never do anything to harm a child. Welcome to episode nine. Let's go give the baby in. So in the last episode, Jack, we focused on the interview Constance Martin gave to the police and she told them Victoria died after she fell asleep with her inside her jacket. She also said she wanted to hand herself in, but when she realised there was a media storm around them, she was scared because she said the couple had been painted like villains. So initially, Mark Gordon also refused to cooperate with the police and he, he was reluctant to give any kind of account about the couple's weeks on the run. But he changed tact when he learnt that Constance Martin started talking in her own interviews. And so he told detectives she was a good mother, but she was vulnerable and she'd been suffering from post-traumatic stress. He also told them he now wished they'd just stayed with the car that exploded on the motorway. 
So we're going to bring you his interviews today. And we should say, in most of the interviews with Constance Martin, the jury was shown the videos which were filmed by police. For Mark Gordon's interviews, we didn't see videos, but instead we were read the transcripts. The first interview took place at Worthing Police Station on March the 2nd, and it started just before midday and lasted for about 42 minutes. And don't forget, this was one day after baby Victoria's body was found. So detectives started by asking Mark Gordon to tell them about the death of the baby. He initially replies that he believed if the case was charged, it would go before a jury trial and he would reserve the right to give live testimony to a jury. He said it was a very emotional time for him. He added that he trusted the jury system in this country and he told detectives that he thought what they were doing was quite noble. The detective said he would ask questions anyway, to which Mark Gordon replied, I expect you to, sir. So this dynamic continued for a while, with Mark Gordon answering each of the officer's questions by reiterating his belief in the jury system. Then, towards the end of the first interview, police told him that Constance Martin had been interviewed the day before, and she'd spoken to them about what had happened. They told him what she'd said, and then he asked to have a word with his solicitor. So then a few hours passed before the police started another interview with him at 2.47pm on the same day. It was at this point it became clear that he was now prepared to talk to them. In this exchange, which is voiced by actors, DC Mark Shales reads out the questions, while Tom Littlecasey, the prosecuting barrister, reads out Mark Gordon's replies. If you are willing to talk about it, would you tell me in your own words what happened? I think that, barring a few nuances, barring a few nuances, she said what occurred. Kind of. Barring a few things. Okay. See, I know it is difficult to talk about something that is that traumatic. Can you recall where it happened? Mmm, not necessarily, but uh, pretty much the way she said it occurred. You know, sad, because obviously it was very, um, it had to be very traumatic for her. You have to understand I love her. I love her. I would do anything for her, and she loves children, and that's our fifth child. And we wanted to have that child. And um, I think she was suffering from a type of uh, a post-traumatic thing. The things that were going on with her that made her experience things on a different level. In a sense, she was, uh, she was uh, having recently had given birth to a baby and all these things happened. You know, and I think ultimately she is a very special woman. She is an awesome woman, and she would never do anything to harm a child under any circumstances. She doesn't even think like that. Her mind doesn't operate on the sense of... But I think the pressure of the situation and being in the... And being in, you know, the car exploding and things like that put... And also, you have to understand that four children have been gone to social services. So... And she is a very good mother. She is an excellent mother, and I don't think they had the real grounds to do what they did, but they have done it, and I think, you know, it was sad what happened, the way the car exploded. And the baby was, we had, well, we had provisions for this child. Lots of provisions. I mean, if they went to the scene, they would find loads of baby stuff were there. So the baby was not, um, the baby was taken care of, but then uh, she has explained to you basically what happened. And uh, it was a very unfortunate, very, very serious and unfortunate thing that happened. 
And nobody could have ever anticipated or looked into the glass and seen that happening. You know, uh, mm, it, it's very sad. It is. And I hate this happening the way it has. And I hate this happening the way it's... The way it has... Uh, do you have any questions? Yeah, before I go into, like, focus on specific things, you mentioned, like, you hate the way it's happened. Of course. How? You might not even be able to explain this. How do you think that has affected you, like, mentally? I... I feel like I am okay. I feel like I can process it, but then, obviously, it's a bad thing. Obviously, seeing that is bad. Because no one ever... We love... We love that... We love the baby, and for that to happen like that... It's sad that it happened like that. But I think uh, it's just one of those things. It was never predicted, because when you lose four children to the system, that child was like... She wanted that child. And, and she is my wife, and I'm gonna... I love her, and I want to support her. And I don't think there was any ever an inkling of an intention. And we didn't know, for instance, that the events would lead the way they did. There was like uh, an unforeseen thing just happened. Just happened like one thing happened after another. And it's like you never planned that. And like I say, the baby was provisioned for. And then, you know, I, I don't know how to say it. That was never... I know she never planned it, and I hate that. And I hate that it occurred the way it did. For a mother to have to live with that has to be a hundred times worse. And I always want the best for her. I always... I want to make sure she is okay because she is a good mother. Mark Gordon told the officer he was the first person he told about this, except for Constance Martin. It's a difficult situation, merely because I know she loved, we loved the child. But then the whole thing, the whole public build-up just made it so much. The whole thing, you know, I don't think it was ever, it was more about a mother's love for a child. It was nothing about, um, it was about loving the child and wanting to be around the child. It was never anything like, do you know what I mean? A mother's love for a child is beyond belief. Yeah. Mark Gordon said he wished things had gone differently, but once the car exploded on the motorway, everything seemed to spiral out of control. He also said he would do anything for Constance Martin, and that he loved her, but he said that he really believed the circumstances were beyond her control. The detectives then tried to ask him about the circumstances surrounding the birth of Victoria, but he said he wasn't sure about the details, and then he said he didn't understand the question. So he was asked again about the car exploding. I don't know. It seemed like the car exploded for some reason. It was strange. The strangest thing ever. Just like smoking, then it blew up. I never saw anything. I thought it was demolition. My car exploded. I thought, I thought demolition. Smoke and then fire and then whoosh. That's what I thought of Hollywood. I said, how did that happen? How did it happen like that? It was strange. So he then took issue with some of the questions police asked him subsequently about the car. He then went on. What have I done that you think that's not right here? I have done everything I think right. If you listen to me, I have done nothing really wrong. I have supported my wife, 
tried my best to be a husband, and I don't think that she has done anything wrong, actually, in trying to take care of her child. What have I really done that's, that's what I want to understand so that I can cooperate with you? I'm not going to play any games with you. They eventually returned to the journey the couple had taken back in January. He said at the point the car exploded, they'd been going to find somewhere to stop, Constance Martin was going to the bank, and they'd also planned to buy food. At that point the car exploded, was Victoria with you in the car? Yes, yes, she had her. She took her out. She took her out. That's the first thing she did. She went out with the baby. She got out first. She was like, come out. And I was trying to get stuff out the back. Because I took all that stuff out of there. Because obviously there was stuff in it and I didn't want it to, like, be destroyed. And that was silly because it ended up... The police got it all anyway. All of our stuff. The police got it all. So maybe we should have just left it there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you are travelling in the car. The engine light or whatever comes on and then smoke starts coming up. Yeah, it was strange. And then, like, I see a lot of fire come up and lighting and then whoosh all of a sudden. Was it really, like, fast as well? Did you, like, feel a bit fearful? I wasn't afraid because I am a... I'm a faithful guy. So I wasn't really afraid. And I feel like all the baby stuff, there was loads of baby stuff and loads of... There was a computer there. There was all kinds of stuff there. It was just I was trying to get her out of there. Eventually. I think the police picked the stuff up. I think, I think, in hindsight, we should have stayed there. In hindsight, we should have just, you know... But you don't think about that in the moment. I should have, like, please stay here... Deal with this. Let's deal with this situation and just deal with it. That would have been the best thing to do, actually, in my opinion. But now, things passed and you can't look back in life. I wish, I wish we had just stayed there. He said the couple had then left the area and that Victoria was safe. He said they'd bought lots of stuff for the baby, which had been in the car, and that she was an oversupplied baby. He said he couldn't tell them where the baby was born and he then became a bit frustrated with the line of questioning, saying they'd been given an account already by Constance Martin. He said at the end of the day he was prepared to do what it took because he loved his wife very much. He said she had been experiencing post-traumatic distress and she was in a situation where she was quite vulnerable, which led to things that were never predictable. It was, he said, an unfortunate and sad thing. He then said he didn't feel the police were being honest with him and he didn't wish to continue with the interview. But he then added, The fact is, I do love her very much and I don't find her to be at blame at all because she was in post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And many other things were happening to her at that time that affected her behaviour. Yeah. That affected her behaviour and didn't allow her to maintain control of the situation or realise what was happening and I love her very much. The interview was then paused at 3.35pm and that's where we'll take a quick break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise – 
the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So we heard the next stage of the interview started less than an hour later at about 4.16pm. The detectives started by saying they wanted to ask some questions about the timeline of events that resulted in Victoria's death. But Mark Gordon then said he wanted to clarify something. I want to clarify in regards to the situation with my daughter. And with, you know, Constance mentioned the fact that she, um, she did put her in and zip her up in her coat. In a coat on um, one evening and put her in a coat. Zipped her up and the baby was in there and she went to sleep very quickly. The baby also went to sleep. She was on the left side. I was on the right side. And everything seemed to be okay. We went to sleep. And then we woke up uh, sometime later and I remember telling her, saying, I remember saying, the baby's okay. And she was like, no, the baby isn't okay. I said, I said for sure the baby is okay. And the baby wasn't moving or it was a surprise to me. So then I am a first aider. So I gave the baby CPR. I was trying to breathe into the baby, trying to get her back to resuscitate. She had no pulse, and it was the most harrowing experience to see my child like that. And it was one of the worst things I ever saw in my life. It was one of those things that that every parent dreads. That was like the worst thing that ever happened. Okay. And we had to, you know, just seen it in my mind's eye. I still see, see her. When you see it in your mind's eye, can you describe the circumstances, like the room or where you were? I can't seem to describe. I seem to just focus on the baby. I just seem to focus on the baby and... And actually, I mean, you are doing a post-mortem, aren't you? You are doing a post-mortem on the baby, so therefore then that will... That's most likely, yeah. That will add clarity to the cause here. Yeah, yeah. But it was just one of those things, and it just... But how? Were you on a bed? A mattress? Or anything like that at the time? I don't recall lots of things about that. It's just a trauma surrounding it and how it came about. Were you in a house? Were you in a 
Because I know, for instance, that she was... She didn't have the best night before, so she didn't sleep much at all. Yeah. And she was... She didn't sleep that well. So then in the morning, she wasn't in the best state, and uh, I feel like... Uh, I feel like it was a really bad time for her. I feel like she was emotionally, like, emotionally at, at, you know, at, at her limits. And I do feel that at that point in time, the night before, we were saying, look, let's uh, do the right thing here. Let's go uh, give the baby in. Let's go give her in. Yeah. Let's just go turn the baby in. Yeah, yeah. Because this isn't, this is not... This isn't positive, but I think as a parent, someone who loves a child, that's not what you're thinking in the moment. Like the first instinct was to protect the child if you have lost children to social services intervention and you feel it unwarranted. The whole idea was protective. Until the vehicle went, Martin, until the vehicle went, everything was sorted. The vehicle got blown up. And lots of the resources and the ability to move about dissipated at that point. But then the situation became kind of unattainable. And I think the response that took place was kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Like, if I tried to take your wallet, you are not going to let me take it, are you? You are going to elbow me, literally. You are not going to let me do it. And I think sometimes parents react that way. But then in the totality of circumstances, it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a good thing. The best thing would have been to do the other thing. But then you didn't see. You didn't foresee that happening. Because if we foresaw that, there is no way that would have ever happened that way. Okay. Well, let me ask a couple of questions around this, because we were talking around that. Okay. Describe, were you in a room in a house, or were you outside at the time? I can't discuss it any further. The police then tried to ask him again where the baby had died and he began to recount the scenario that he'd earlier outlined about the baby being inside Constance Martin's jacket. But this time the detective interrupted and tried to clarify where Constance Martin was at the time, suggesting perhaps the floor or a mattress. He said he remembered it all like it was happening yesterday, that he could describe everything to them, but at this point in time he said he was concluding his description. Can I ask now... Your daughter was found within a bag, within a tent, within a shed. Were you there when it happened? Like, within the tent, within the shed, at the time of the death of your daughter? I don't know what you're saying. I think I am being quite clear. No, you're not being clear. Where did the death happen? I am complete. Like I said, I will give further testimony. Yeah. When I need to do it. When it suits you. Not when it suits me, detective. When it's consistent with my rights and I can say when I know what to say. Now he went on to say that he had nothing to hide, nothing to conceal. He had only bereavement about his daughter and he wanted to get to the bottom of it. But he then told the officers that he was being held there against his will and he said he hadn't come there of his own accord. So officers tried to ask whether the baby was warm at the time of her death or whether she'd been out in the cold. Mark Gordon said that this form of police involvement was actually polluting the strength of justice and could have an impact on a fair trial. He then reverted back to saying that he would give his account to a jury. I think you feel that you have tried to give answers to me and you feel that you have given enough to me and you don't want to answer questions that are difficult. I have no problem answering questions. But let's be honest here, you can't... You are not the resolver of the situation. 
Eventually, the detective attempted again to ask Mark Gordon how old Victoria was when she died. The truth will prevail, and I said the other day, and I mean it will prevail because the truth will come out. And then you will realise that everything I am saying is accurate and true. You will realise that I am being honest with you. You realise that I'm not pulling your leg, and I will have no reason to pull your leg. I'm a man who has lost a daughter who I love. Mark. I have lost her and she has gone. But I am managing, I am coping, I am being strong. I am here and I don't like it, but I have no choice. So I am not worried about what you're saying or what anyone else is saying. I'm going to pursue the truth and I will stand on justice and I will go to court and I will leave that court. Whatever I have done, I will deal with it. But I have not done anything, anything I am ashamed of. I love my wife and I love my daughter. Now, Caroline, after the jury heard the interviews with Mark Gordon, they were shown items of evidence in the courtroom. They were presented, for example, with the fully assembled tent where the couple had allegedly been staying. Now, this wasn't the tent they actually used, but it was a copy. They were also shown the couple's thin sleeping bags, which were the original ones that had been recovered by police. The tent was put down next to the jury's bench and they were able to see its size, and it was tiny, a bit like a small festival tent, really, and it was described in court as flimsy. Now, we also heard from a weather expert. This was Dr Richard Wilde, and he had prepared a report on the weather in the Sussex area where the couple were allegedly camping, including the highest and the lowest temperatures. Now, he said the windiest period was between January the 8th to the 10th and from the 12th to the 14th. He said the wettest period was January the 11th to the 12th and then from the 14th to the 16th. He said the coldest spell was from January the 16th to the 25th. The lowest temperature, he said, was on January the 11th, when it dropped to minus four. But he admitted under cross-examination that the period between January the 8th to the 14th was warmer than average. And during that time, there was no danger, he said, of snow or ice on the ground. And of course, this is all around the time that the couple were allegedly living in a tent on the South Downs with Victoria. Finally, Jack, before we finish today, we also heard the details about the finances of Constance Martin in late 2022, and early 2023. Yeah, so we were told that Constance Martin was the beneficiary of what was described in court as a significant family trust, which was administered by trustees through Hawes Private Bank. Now, that trust paid out a stipend or allowance to Constance Martin on a monthly basis, and at the discretion of the trustees, she could also be given ad hoc payments for various expenses. Yeah, we heard that she was paid around £2,500 a month by the trust. But on numerous occasions during that period, she could call the bank and ask for an advance, which would then be deducted from that 2500 monthly figure. So, for example, on September the 20th, she received a £300 advance on her monthly stipend. Consequently, she received 2200 rather than the usual 2500 on September the 30th. She again requested early payment in October and the following month she requested extra money to cover the cost of temporary accommodation, storage and equipment so she could start work again. And we heard she later received £13,596 for camera and filming equipment. So then we heard that from December her monthly allowance had gone up to £3,400 and she also requested money to cover the cost of buying a car in December and was sent almost £16,000 for that. 
Then, between the beginning of September and the middle of January, we were told that the total amount paid into Constance Martin's account was £47,886. So after we heard about that, we then turned to her cash withdrawals over the same time period, which included a £4,000 withdrawal on December the 31st, and £2,000 on January the 5th, which was the day you might remember that the car exploded on the motorway. Now, after this final withdrawal on January the 5th, her balance stood at £19,000, which was the amount the couple had available to them in the account for the weeks that followed. But the jury were told that withdrawals then halted completely until February 27th, which was the day they were arrested. So that's it for today. We should remind you that Constance Martin and Mark Gordon deny manslaughter by gross negligence. They also deny perverting the course of justice, concealing the birth of a child, child cruelty and causing or allowing the death of a child. We'll be back next week with more evidence from the Old Bailey. In the meantime, you can follow us on X at The Trial Podcast or contact us on thetrial at mailmetromedia.co.uk. You can leave us a comment on Spotify or even send us a voice note on WhatsApp on 07796 657 512. Start your message with the word trial. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. I'm coming to find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is Everything I Know About Me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again. Because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. Unashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah... I remember that being really stressful. 
Everything I Know About Me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.